Awesome. So what we'll do is we're going to walk through this booklet, obviously. Um, so make sure you have the week two one. Um, you should be able to open it up. And on the first page, there's a review and overview. Again, I'll spend a little bit more time on this uh, just to make sure we're all caught up. I do want to explain this. This is very confusing. Don't get caught up in the weeds because you'll it all makes sense at the end, hopefully. But this little helpful guide is it? Yeah, it is. No, it's going to be on the audio. It's all good. He's checking the audio because I'll forget to turn it on or something, and then I won't have the recording of the class. So, um, yeah, so the discipleship framework. Basically what this is is at Summit Crossing we ask, what is our strategy to make disciples, right? And so this is what that is, and the whole class is walking through that discipleship framework. Anything we do, I said this last week, you'll hear me say it again, connection for us at Summit Crossing is um, synonymous with discipleship because by definition, connecting with a body means you are being made into a disciple and you are making disciples, right? And so when we say connection, that's what we mean. We say connection because that makes more sense to people. So, um, yeah, but our discipleship framework. So this is meant to start at the bottom. So if you don't start at the bottom, it will make less sense. Um, so it starts with the foundation. I'm going to walk through this really quickly, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it ends with the purpose. So I know I said start at the bottom and work up, but I'm jumping to the end because those are vitally important to keep in mind. And so last week, that's what we covered. So we talked about the gospel being the foundation for everything we do. Understand that it's not a foundation that you ever move past, meaning if you remove that, everything else crumbles, right? It's not like we get that and then move on to the important stuff. No, that is infused into everything we do. The good news that Jesus is Savior and that Jesus is King. And so that's the good news. That's the foundation. And so what is the purpose then of the church in this mission of God? It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. So that's that very last box at the top. And we say from the neighborhoods to the nations to remind us that it's both and. It's local and global. It's from our wherever God has us in that season all the way to the ends of the earth. And so that's kind of the end goal. And so we say, how do we get from here to here? And this is basically a cycle because as we make disciples, what are we doing? We're sharing the gospel, right? And so there are certain strategies we would say we have. And week one and week two are more the why um, than the what. So week three and four will get a lot more practical. And so last week, again, we talked about the why. The gospel is at the foundation of everything we do. It is for the purpose of making disciples ultimately wide to the glory of God the Father. So we see that in Revelation where all nations, tribes, and tongues come together. We get to be a part of that grand story, which is phenomenal. We talked last week how the gospel is personal, so intimate and personal and for you. But it's not just personal. It's also cosmic. It's global. And so we don't only receive the gospel, we become conduits to the world. As we have been reconciled, so we are to be reconcilers. Does that make sense? We, we use the language, everything God's done to you in the gospel, he desires to then do through you. And so he doesn't just save you to save you to himself, though he does that. He saves you to also be a part of bringing others into that story, right? And ultimately all of creation, not even just humanity, though humanity is at the apex of that. As it was in the original creation, it's at the apex of the, uh, the new creation, right, that we see in Revelation. And so that's kind of what's going on. So last week we covered those two boxes, the foundation and the purpose. That was week one. This week we're going to look at the second box, identities. From here we are going to just work our way up. So identities is going to get um, very personal. We're going to get deep. I love this week. It's one of my favorite weeks. Um, it always seems to be some of the most uh, transformative in many ways because we're really getting into the why and who we are at deep levels. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask for you guys. I, last week was a lot of talking I'm going to talk a lot this week to start, but then I'm going to ask for some feedback and us to, to engage. And I always say engagement doesn't always mean you have to talk. If you're not a talker, that's fine. But lean in, try to listen, try to engage, and at least think through what we're talking about. Next week, we'll do practices. So we always start with the being, which is identity, before we get to the doing, which is the practices. So we've got to get that. Jamie talked about that. I mean, his sermon today was great. We don't circumvent who we are and our emotions and our identity and just start doing a bunch of things that God said to do without... Um, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. Um, I was at this training this week in Seattle, and um, actually a guy, his name is Jeff Vanderstout, he's the one who influenced a lot of this stuff. Um, he was mentioning that our obeying God is always in conjunction with our partnering with God. So we can't separate those two. We are abiding in Christ and working with Him in His story. We can't get ahead of Him or um, work separately apart from Him. Does that make sense? So we don't work to earn that relationship. We have that relationship. And so because we do, because Christ is working, because Christ is on mission, so now we are on mission alongside him. 
Does that make sense? So we've got to be in, in line with him. So we'll flow from our identity to our practices. And then the last one is environments. That is the most practical week, really practical. So we asked the question at Summit Crossing, um, what are the environments that we can create for that to happen, for discipleship to happen, to create culture of discipleship for that to flourish, for you to flourish in your gift set that God's given you in line with our body that he's called us to. And so those are all, that's the one that looks the most confusing, right? And I get that, but we're going to walk through each of those environments that we have at Summit Crossing um, and help You'll have a clear connection and a connection point to each of those environments if you choose to connect in those environments. Um, And so we'll get into all that. It's really hard for me not to get ahead of myself. So it doesn't all have to make sense now. I think at the end it will. The main thing I want you to see, if you just forgot the, the whole middle section and look at the arrows, right? The foundation to the identities, to the practices, to the environments for the purpose of making disciples. So this week is identities. So you can go ahead and turn the page. And we're going to talk about identity. So that's another word that's become maybe somewhat of a buzzword, I think, um, in the Christian subculture. It's, a, again, a, a good word. I think identity, we need to talk about that because that gets into emotions, that gets into heart, that gets into our being, the very core of who we are. It can also be a very painful thing to talk about because you are who you are. Um, for a reason. And so you have baggage, you have history, you have background that's there that's helped form you. It does not, um, it's not your identity. It doesn't make you who you are, um, but it does help form you and the way you see the world, the way you look at things. And so if we ignore that, um, if we ignore our emotions, if we ignore those things, we will be led by them. And so you have people that are clearly led by their emotions and you can see it and they wear it on their sleeve. You have other people who say, I'm not led by emotions but they actually are. Because if you are ignoring your emotions and trying to suppress them, um, you're actually being led by them or by a fear of them, right? That is um, leading the way you do things. And so we want to get into the heart. We're going to talk about that a lot today. And so what is our identity? Who are we? So there's true and false identities. We were created, true identity, by God to be his image bearers to the world around us. You hear us a lot. We start in the garden, right? We go back to the beginning, back to before the fall, before the rebellion. And so we were created by God to be his image bearers to the world around us. Our purpose, value, and worth came from our union with the creator and joining in his mission. Okay? So when Adam and Eve were created, they were told to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth. Okay? That's not just making babies. though. That was a part of it, right? Um, because there were no other babies to be made. But it was about spreading the glory to the end of the earth. It was saying, the union I have with you, I want you to take that. And as I've created you to bear my image, I now want you to be a part of spreading that to the ends of the earth. Right? So there is this, it's beautiful because God's not only saying, I want to be intimate. I want to know you. I also trust you enough to be a part of my mission. And I should even say he he trusts his name enough that he's going to fulfill that. That is the way he chooses to use humanity to spread his glory. Right. And, And that's hard. Like we know that the fall and rebellion happened. So it's hard for us to believe that sometimes because we look at how broken humanity is, how broken we are. And it's hard for us to believe that, but that was the original plan. And God has not forsaken that. And we're going to see the full, the full story. So in the fall, humanity rejects the good rule and reign of God and now spends their life searching for identity, purpose, and worth in false gods and fellow humans or even themselves. And so let me explain that. Again, when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? It's not about this physical fruit. This word knowledge is not as much of a, and I said this last week, but most of us weren't here. It's not this abstract being able to kind of say what good and evil is. So it's a trivia game and you have things coming. I say, oh, that's good. Nope, that's evil. Good, 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 evil. That's not it. It's not this abstract idea of knowledge. It is this um, choosing or determining good and evil for themselves. It is them saying, because when God says something that's good or that's evil, just because he says it, it becomes, it is, right? When he says it, it is. We want to take that control and be able to define good and evil for ourselves. So if I like something, and even if God calls it evil, but I want to call it good, if I say it's good, then I can justify, as Jamie talked about today, we justify it in our minds. So this is what they're saying. They're basically saying, I don't trust you, God, that what you say is good and that what you say is evil is evil. I want to determine that for myself. That's why it's such an affront to God. And it's also a rejection of the relationship. It's a breaking of trust. It's not just a abstract, well, I broke a rule. No, it's a breaking God's heart. I think Keller says that, that every sin is not breaking a rule. It's breaking God's heart. And so we are saying, you are not enough for me, God. I'm going to look for it in other things. And now our whole life of humanity is looking for worth, 
value and purpose in everything else. You can see it. We can illustrate it. You look at um, look at a sports team, and you have look, look at the NBA. You have guys who are chasing that championship, and if they don't get that championship, it's going to hurt their legacy. You even have sports commentators that talk about that all day. And if they don't have as many championships as the next guy and they're chasing it and chasing it and chasing it and it never fulfills, it never satisfies. You watch a team gets the trophy, right? And they're all celebrating champagne going everywhere next week back to work again, right? Because we've got to keep that. We've got to try to maintain that. And it's this endless rat race. If I just got this job I wanted, if I got this career I wanted, if I got this spouse I wanted, if I had the kids I wanted, if I had this, this, and we're searching. And every time we get it, by God's grace, it doesn't fulfill us. And it's painful and it hurts because we think, man, it still didn't get it. Well, if I could just get this next, next, and God's trying to say, look to me, look to me, look to me. I created you. I know you. Trust me. Be in union with me. I am the one you were created for. And I would also contend, again, that's not just a personal, intimate thing. It's also his mission, right? Because you will find worth in his mission and what he's called you to do. It will still be painful. It will still be hard. Um, But God gives humanity to be his image bearers. And so we're broken, longing again to be fully known and fully loved. I love that. I have it tattooed right here, fully known and fully loved. Because to think about that, to be fully known, one is really scary, if we're honest. I mean, think about letting someone hear your worst thoughts you've ever thought, the worst things you've ever thought, and letting somebody into that, another human, that would scare the crap out of them. They probably wouldn't know what to do with it. They would probably just run away right? Um, You've had that. You've had people get to know you and see some of your broken sides and they distance themselves, right? A lot of times we can fault them, but but we would do the same thing because we don't know what to do with that. But the idea that God fully knows us and instead of running away, he runs towards us. He runs towards our brokenness, hugs us in the midst of it and says, I love you too much to leave you here. I will drag you out of it with me. And so we're fully known and fully loved. That's what we long for. So in Christ, Obviously, everything points back to Jesus. We are made a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's there on your paper. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have to understand this. This isn't a tweaking of your broken identity. It's not a just kind of fixing. It is a passing from death to life. We are broken. We are dead in the bottom of the ocean. And Jesus dives and breathes new life into us and restores us to what we were originally (laughs) created to be. And so we are now fully and completely accepted because of the work of Christ. I'm going to say that again because it's not even hitting me like it should. We are fully and completely accepted because of the work of Christ. I struggle to believe that. That I truly, that I have the smile of God the Father on me, even in my broken state. But the beauty is we don't earn it. We can't lose it. It's who we are. You need to hear that. It is who you are. It's your identity. Again, getting to that being piece, not just the doing piece. We are giving a new Trinitarian identity based in the work and call of Jesus. So we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We get this from Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so you need to get that. This is the one who has authority, who when he says something, it is true. Even if you don't believe it, even if your emotions tell you otherwise, it is true. All authority has been given to me. Now go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And again, the one who has all authority says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so there is this Trinitarian union that we are baptized into. So he claims the authority from the Father and calls us to our new identity, disciple of Jesus. So who we are precedes what we do. And that's misspelling here, another one. We need to mark that one. (laughs) Who we are, our being precedes what we do, our doing, right? Not our being. So why this matters is because culture tells us a different story. What is one of the first questions? I mean, even today, and this don't hear this as a knock. I'm very, I just move into stuff that, oh, it doesn't offend you. But what do we do? What do we talk about? We tell you what we do. Yeah, what we do. That defines you. I'm a nurse. I'm in school. I'm I'm this, I'm that. Um, Even, you know, I'm retired. I'm, I'm a pastor, whatever it is. That's a big part. And that's like, think about it. When you meet someone, what they tell you they do determines the way you think about them many times, right? Like someone tells you, oh, I'm a um, rocket scientist. Immediately you're, you're having, you maybe have more respect. Maybe you're just like, wow, that guy's smart, whatever it is. Um, someone could tell you, well, right now I don't have a job. Well, immediately we're, maybe we're judging them. Maybe we're saying, why don't you have a job? What's going on? You know, and we might even ask more questions to get to the bottom of whether we really view them as worthy or not. Well, if you just lost your job, you're in a hard time. Okay. But you know, like we, we value their value is based on what they tell us about what they do. 
it really is. We do that. We're going to get into James, and, and I think we'll all be convicted about how often we do that uh, when we go through the book of James here coming up. But here's the thing. God tells us our being, and it's not based on what we've done, because if it was, we would all be worthless. We would all be devalued. We all would be hopeless. But he tells us that he's done this to us, but he not only wants us to he, to do this to us, he wants us to now be a part of this. And so we're called to go make disciples in the world around us. So on one hand, we recognize the depravity of man. We need to. But on the other hand, we recognize the imago day of God's creation, which is that they're made in God's image, calling them back to what they were originally created to be. So here's why you need to understand this. And I think it's very important. Often we want to put people in boxes or buckets. My son's five. He does this. So we watch a superhero movie and he says, you know, was that the good guy or was that the bad guy? And every time I find myself saying, well, it's more complicated than that. Like, I really appreciate, I don't know if any of you have seen the Black Panther, but the villain in the Black Panther is, uh, yeah, it's worth seeing. But the villain in the Black Panther is conflicted. Like they actually, the villain and the hero agree with the problem. They just both have different solutions on how to fix it. Like what a gospel picture. Like, so let's start with where we agree with the world around us, that the world is broken, that there are people that need to be helped. What, what is our solution? Well, our solution is always Jesus. It is always his kingdom, his way, right? And so we might disagree, but we have to be able to see that people are image bearers. And I always challenge people in this because we, especially like in our celebrity culture, we see a celebrity and they might be living wild. They might be somebody who we're, we could just condemn, but they're real people who are image bearers. And there are things in them that are beautiful portrayals of who God is. You take a maybe a singer, I'll just throw a name out there, even though I don't like doing this, but take Miley Cyrus, right? She just, yeah, there we go. So we, we look at her like, like she, she's not living out what she was created to be, but the reality is she's looking for it in all the wrong places, but she's looking for it. And I can even listen to her voice, which is a beautiful God-given talent, and say, I can see a, a, a slight thing of what she was created to be. Imagine if that voice was used to sing the praises of God instead of the praises of man. Imagine if that voice was used. Did y'all hear Justin Bieber singing or something? Is that what? No. Did y'all? Did anybody? So I know if that's what y'all are laughing at. I should just shouldn't assume, but there was like Justin Bieber was leading praise at this. This. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but anyways, uh, I just saw it on Facebook. But but seriously, imagine if that voice was used to praise the Creator over the creation, right? And so and and she's got many other things. She's more than just her voice. But can we see? And she's someone that's distant. I get that, right? But people that are around us, people that we see on the street, people that are dear to us, can we see them as more than what they do? Can we see them for who they are? Now, we need to recognize the depravity. They're doing what they're doing for a reason, and it doesn't excuse it, right? Uh, but they're searching just as we all are. So we're going to talk about, the next three things we're going to talk about is um, kind of our identity, and I'm going to draw this out because I think it's helpful to do that. Um, going back to the Trinitarian identity, we said we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And then we're told to go make disciples. So um, this is our Trinitarian identity. We're baptized into this when we become followers of Jesus. And so this is just helping us kind of frame this and understand. Um, this is kind of a lens work to really help us see if we really believe these things that God said we are. So we're going to start with family, which means goes with God the Father, Okay, and I'll explain this. And then we're going to work to, um, oh gosh, servants, which is dealing with the son, King Jesus. And then we're going to go to missionaries. So this all makes sense. I promise. Give me a minute. I think it will. Um, and you can ask questions if it doesn't. So in Christ Jesus, we're baptized into this family and God the Father makes us sons and daughters right? Jesus is our brother, right? He's our older brother, all of us. And we're baptized in the name of God, the father. We're fully accepted. We have the smile of God. So John 1, 12 through 13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it is God that has ordained this. It is God that has brought this to be. And in Christ Jesus, we are made family. And so there's these five questions we ask that we're going to ask of each of these identities. And we're going to explain how these questions are very helpful tools for you in your life to really wrestle with what are you actually believing? Because you can say you believe one thing. Are any of us going to disagree that we're made sons and daughters just on a intellectual level? Well, if you're in this room, no, you believe that to be true, right? 
do you always live that way? No, obviously you don't, right? You have identity issues. You struggle to believe you, 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 you feel insecure, right? When you're the, like, so my son the other day, he said, um, we were talking about his hair actually. And he, he had a kid here tell him an older kid, tell him you need to get a haircut. And so I was talking to him about, and he said, well, I don't want to cut my hair because I don't want people to make fun of me or things like that. You know, and he's five, but I'm and like, that's what I told him. I didn't tell him, well, Kanan, you need to just not worry about what they think. They're idiots. Like that's my natural reaction is they're idiots. But now that's not the gospel. That's just, you know, making one problem bigger. Now I'm teaching him how to view people who disagree with him, <laughs> you know? And so what I said is I said, Kanan, you are a son of God. Do you understand that? Like God loves you intimately and dearly. And you have all the inheritance that Jesus alone should have had. Who cares what they think? Right? And so that's what I'm telling him. Because in the moment, he's not believing that. He's needing affirmation from other people when he has affirmation from the creator of the universe. Right? And it sounds crazy, but we all do it. So these questions we need to ask, basically what we're doing is when we're, not, when we're struggling to believe the gospel, we need to speak truth into our lives and lead our emotions. Because my emotions in the moment might tell me that I'm really not a son or daughter of God right? Because I'm looking at it and my reality tells me I'm not, but I need to go back to the truth of the gospel. And so the first where we start is God's identity. We're made in his image, right? So we need to start with God's identity. So the question we ask, who is God? The answer is God is our father. It's there on the page. If you want to see it, God is our father, right? He tells us he is, we believe it. It's in his word. So what has he done? Well, how do we, so if that's who God is, right? If that's his being, what did he do then to prove that that's his being? Well, he sent and substituted his son for us and welcomed us into his family. So we don't just have this abstract idea of God being our father. We have a a son on a Roman cross crucified for us that we might be brought into the family. That's the beauty of God. He doesn't just live in the being. He does something about it. And that's what he did. And so we look at God's identity and God's doing. So his being and his doing. Then we look at our our being and our doing. So who are we now? We are beloved sons and daughters of God. We receive the inheritance of sonship. And you'll notice I'm not only going to push you to the vertical relationship between me and God, but the horizontal, it also means we are brothers and sisters of one another. Now you see why Jamie sometimes can voice frustration about people getting upset. It's because we're brothers and sisters. Yes, talk to it. If someone's offensive and they don't know, go challenge them. Like, let's wrestle through that together. But we are brothers and sisters. And so what do we do? Well, we love God and one another as family, right? So there is this love in our hearts for God. And I don't have time to put it all in there, but we could talk about how do we do it. That's why that question is, is blank, because that's for us to discuss. So let's talk about this. If God is our father, so that's horizontal, and others are our brothers and sisters. So we want to love each other as family. What are some things that we actually might do? How could we actually live this out if we believe it? So let's... Throw me some, like, let's think. Accept the faults. Okay. So we're... Because in a family, you do that. Yeah, so you deal with it. There's yeah. brokenness, and you're, you're going to be there, and so you don't allow it to... You don't make that their identity, their faults, right? You know, we, we do that with, like, hopefully with my wife, I'm able to look over things, or um, what is it? Love covers a multitude of sins, right? And so I'm able to give her grace there because I also, if I really recognize that I was the orphan outcast and I'm brought into the family, why would I think that God loves me you know, more in that sense? Um, yeah. So what else? We can get really practical too. Like what does a family do for each other? Serve one another. Okay. Um, Let's get really practical. I was going to say practical example. Um, you know, did the dishes for my wife this morning. Perfect. Um, helping her with projects that she wants to execute that weren't really maybe what I wanted to do okay. today, yep. but, you know, yeah. her out with what she wanted yeah. to do. And doing it from a heart of love, mm-hmm. not out of, oh, here we go, let me do this so uh, my life will be better. Like, I'll find I'll serve my wife so that way the, the home can be peaceful so then I can rest later, which is still very selfish. Like, like you know, it's all for my good. So, so I have to wrestle with my own heart, right? And I love Jeff Anderson. He's a guy, he talks about the gray. Like, it's not always that... We live in the gray, meaning there's probably 80% that I'm doing it for the right reason, 20% that I'm doing it for selfish reasons. So wrestling with that, repenting. Um, and so, yeah, what else? That's really practical. Um, okay. Yep. So you're willing to, to be, just exist with. Yeah. Okay. Through, through awkward times, through tough times, right? Um, someone's going through something, you have no idea what to say. 
right? We had a, you know, a family recently, good friends of mine, just, you know, had a miscarriage. I don't know what to say. I just want to be. Like, I, I'm, I'm there. I'll, I'll weep with you. Um, yeah, give each other meals, you're right. Um, we're, we're caring for each other. Uh, let's, the vertical relationship, we're in the Word, right? We're, we're, we're listening to God through the Word, through prayer, right? Through these other things. So it's not just the horizontal. If we just get to, I'll find myself, I have to watch, I'll get to the horizontal. And I'm doing, 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 serving, serving, serving. And I find myself, when I find myself frustrated, like I said, like angry, just doing it. Well, I got to go do this again. Here I go. Like when I do that, I know I'm not being and I'm not existing with God enough. And I'm not in that relationship. I'm not feeling my identity. So I got to get back there. So we're not going to spend forever here. We'll actually have a little more time at the end to discuss some of this, but I want to illustrate it with these two. And so servants. So Jesus came as king, not to be served, but to give his life. And I want to make sure I illustrate this king aspect. So God sends Jesus as king, right? Um, but he doesn't rule and reign like everyone expects him to. We could share many stories of the disciples who wanted him to. They were like, God, like reign this way, reign that way. Can I reign with you when you overthrow the Roman government? You know, and Peter, I'm going to cut off this guy's ear. And Jesus is like, nope, like that's not how I work. Let me fix your problems for you. Like he always does. Right. And it gives me hope for the American church who wants, I think often God to reign through power and control. Um, but God is faithful and he serves. So John 13, 14 through 15. Again, I give you many examples, but this one's amazing. He tells the disciples, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. So imagine the scene with me. The disciples are here, including Judas, which is important. Um, the disciples are here in this room and there's this verse and I don't have it on here, but it says that Jesus realized that all authority was given him to the father. So in his humanity, he begins to realize that all authority is given to him for the father. Now that's not for us the question, did Jesus know before or not? The thing is the author is making the point for us to know that all authority is given to Jesus. What does he do with it? If it was me, I'd like blow up the people. I'd zap Judas, like get rid of him out of my life. You know, don't want him. Like I would do many things. I'd maybe go blow up the temple just to, you know, get the Pharisees mad at me. You know, all these people that have disrespected me. But Jesus gets up and he grabs a towel, which would have been utterly ridiculous in their day. You did not wash the feet of each other. That was reserved for the lowest of the low, like the new guy, like the new servant, right? Like here, you get to do this for a while until somebody else comes and you move up in the world. Jesus does this to illustrate that I love you, including Judas's feet. He washes the feet of his disciples and he says, I am modeling for you how my kingdom works. And so we don't, we are servants because of that. It is who we are. Sometimes we're really bad at it. We often want to rule and reign in power and control. We get to rule and reign with Christ, but we reign in the way he did as servants. And so who is God? God in Christ Jesus is the king. And so what did he do, right? So that's his identity in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the king. The son is the king. What has he done? He has served us and the world in the upside down way of the kingdom. So that is how he illustrated that, right? This is a tangible example of him living out of his being. Jesus never did anything outside of his being, outside of union with the spirit and being led by the spirit. He even says, I always do the will of my father, right? There's this complete obedience. So who are we? Now we become servants of the king, made heirs of his kingship. So is this familiar garden language? Remember, that was their thing to rule, to reign, to spread. You look at Genesis, it says, have dominion. That's kingly language, have dominion. Then you see that all the way in Israel to the priests of believers, a, a kingdom of priests, kingdom. See that kingly language? So we're servants of the king. And so what do we do? Well, we submit to the king in obedience. Again, that's vertical. And we serve the world around us as we have been served. So there's two aspects. We see Jesus as king. We submit to him as king. And we serve the world around us. So again, vertical and horizontal. Tangible ways. If we really believe this is who we are and this is our being, that you can't change this. So all this is at the core of this is we're disciples. We talked about this last week and I'll say it again. You're always a disciple and you're always a disciple maker of something. We want to be disciple makers of Jesus. You might be disciples making disciples of Alabama football or whatever else it is you like, right? And I'm not saying you can't talk about Alabama football, but ultimately we want to make disciples of Jesus, right? Um, and so do we talk about Jesus? Are we, sometimes you're really bad at this and that's okay but you're still that, like it's who you are, it's your being, 
Okay. My son is sometimes a really bad son. You know, my daughter, she's two and she is stubborn as can be. Like I was praying yesterday, God, take this stubbornness and make her a voice for the less fortunate, like who will boldly speak out because this could go really bad. (laughs) She's just very stubborn, you know, but I love her to death. She's the sweetest thing. And so like, I'm like, sometimes she's a bad daughter, but she's always my daughter. Like her identity, her being doesn't change. There's nothing she can do to change that. She can't. She's stuck with us, right? And so same thing with us as a disciple. It's who we are, right? And so nothing can change that. So you need to hear that. And so this is just kind of the outworking of these, like kind of getting more specific. So this is all as a disciple identity. This is getting more specific. And all these are, so you guys understand, these are just lenses. So you can look at your life and say, are there areas where I'm not believing I'm a servant? We're going to get to missionaries. And we're going to, do we really believe we're missionaries? Right, we're going to get there. So servants. Give me some tangible things we could do, right? How do we do this and live out of our being? Um, I have a really good example from back home in Oregon. I drove for a dealership, and I had a customer who, this elderly lady, lived by herself, had no family here. And she we needed to just move across the street to a different apartment. She was stressing over money because her car broke down, and she had to hire a moving company because she couldn't move all her stuff. And I just said, I have people that will come help you move. And I instantly got on the phone to my, my community mm-hmm. back home yep. and said, this lady needs someone to come help her move. And they, multiple people like, do we need trucks? How would you, you know, is it upstairs or downstairs? What equipment do we need? Uh, when, when, um, and when I told her that I had you know, 10 people who were going to come help her move, she broke down and was just like, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? And I told her why. Yeah. Because it's just Christ. Yeah. yeah. We're a community group. And we ended up not, she actually ended up not moving, but she was like, you just re- totally restored my faith in that there is a God. Wow. It was like life-changing more that I would just be like, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll serve you. We don't even know you, but we'll come do it. Yeah. yeah. And you give, and, and I love that because sometimes we'll do that, but we won't give Jesus credit, right? Like we'll say, oh, we're just good people. We're good Southern hospitable people. Like, no, actually, if it was left to myself, yeah. I'm pretty selfish. So we're serving you because of Jesus, because of the way he served us, right? That's gospel fluency, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, that's a great example, right? And we could go on and on. Let's, let's go vertical. Cause I always challenge people to also think of this cause it, like Jesus being King, what does that mean? What are some tangible things? I, I'll give you an example, but we submit to the King in obedience, right? So out of love, out of a recognition that he's King, we are obeying him, right? We are saying increasingly submitting all of life to him. And so that could be listening to the spirit, following him, obeying him. Um, that is that aspect of sometimes we are struggling to believe and maybe we don't even fully feel like doing something, but we do it because we know that he is good and that he is worth it even in the moment. Right? So I always, you can illustrate it with somebody who goes and works out right at CrossFit, no. <laughs> but, but goes and works out because they know they have a football game coming up or they want to win the. Ch- so there's a greater like glory there. So I'm going to go through temporary pain for that. That's okay. Spiritual disciplines, the idea of saying, you know what, in the moment, I don't necessarily feel like this. Um, and I have to, like this is an area in my life I want to grow with, uh, grow in. And so because I don't necessarily feel like it, but I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to submit to this because I know it's good for me. And so I'm trusting that God, you will make this come alive. Even in, and I'm repenting of the fact that this doesn't make me come alive right now. And again, repentance is not something we have to be scared of. It's not this thing like repentance is a, a, a means of grace for us to grow and say, God, I, I, I don't feel this right now. But, but I trust that you do. And then we get into community. The reason, like, I need to hear somebody who in the moment believes it, right? Even if I'm not. And, and then I love how God works. Like, my close, like, friends that really help hold me accountable. Like, I love, like, it always seems to never fail. When they're really struggling, I'm really trusting. And when, they're, when I'm really struggling, they're really trusting. And we're able to just believe for each other in those moments, right? And so we are submitting, increasingly submitting all our life to King Jesus and obeying because, him. Sometimes because, isn't it? Because, because I'm supposed to. Yeah. So I, it, family, he's the father. Right. You're talking about your mm-hmm. young children. Right. Sometimes because I'm the dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is enough. Yeah. You don't have to have. Yeah. And it, to me, it goes back to a trust. So this is why I challenge my son. I tell him, and I think the same way with God. You don't have to agree with me, but I want you to trust me. 
I actually don't want full agreement, meaning this mindless, like, okay, you told me not to run the road, so I'm just not going to do it. And there's no like trust level. I actually would rather him say, I don't, I don't agree with you, dad. Like I, I actually really like to go run on the road and I have no idea. I mean, I'll get out of the way of the cars, I promise, but I trust you and that you know better. So Tim Keller says something he says, if, and we were talking about this this week, if God is a God that you never disagree with, that means you made him in your own image instead of allowing him to make you in his own image. So let me explain if, if you never, like you read a truth about God and you're kind of like, I don't know if I would have done it that way. Like, go read the Old Testament if you want. You know, that might make you feel that way. There's times I'm like, God, I don't know if I really think that's best, but I have to land on, I trust you, and that's enough. I don't have to fully agree. I don't. And there's times I don't fully agree with what God's doing in the world. I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it differently. But he's the one that receives glory. And so that's what I tell my son. Like, I don't need you to fully agree with me. I know you want the iPad. I get it. You know, it's 1030 at night, and you want to play on the iPad for another two hours. But you have to trust me. You don't have to agree, but you have to trust that I'm your father, that I'm good for you. That's what I tell him. I said, who gave you? This question I ask him all the time. Who gave you um, mommy and daddy? And he says, God. And I says, right. And I, we're not perfect by any means, but we love you and we trust you. And we're your parents for a reason. And I want you to grow eventually to be my brother in Christ, right? Not my, where I'm, I'm the dad. You know, at some point, hopefully he grows up and moves out of the house, right? <laughs> like, like, that's the goal, right? And we have, like, you know, that's like me and my mom have a great, Honestly, I would say brother-sister relationship. Now, she's my mom, and I have this utmost respect for her in that way. But, like, we both, like, just try to follow Jesus together and figure this out. And so that's what I want for my kids, too, right? And if you've experienced that with either your parents or your children, you know, that's a really cool thing. So, yeah. So there's a submission in all of life to King Jesus because he is king. And so let's get to the last one, missionaries. Last page, and then we're going to get to some discussion. Um, so... You need to understand this. The spirit often is like the forgotten member of the Trinity, right? We need to remember him because he's very important. So the spirit, what does he do? He empowers and sends Jesus to redeem to himself a people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Back in creation, the spirit was there hovering over the waters. Remember that? And then we see the spirit come and hover over Jesus right before um, uh, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And there's a spirit hovering over him, which represents the new creation, right? Like that's what it's saying. Jesus is the creation. Like he's the true and better creation. And so he's sending Jesus to go redeem to himself the people. So Jesus was fully submitted to the spirit in all of life. We have to remember, we talk about Jesus' deity a lot. We should. It's important. Close to an issue but his humanity. He was submitted to the spirit in all of life. He, was, he wasn't just like, he kind of had this like robot just kind of going. A lot of times we think Jesus was God in a kind of just clothed in a human flesh. No, he was, he was fully human and he was fully submitted to the spirit. He wrestled, he prayed, he walked through temptation. He actually did that. He wasn't just a robot. And so what Jesus does is he does that and then he rises from the grave. The spirit raises him and he says in John 20, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. He's literally saying, Shalom, the new creation is here with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, as God sent me to the world to redeem them, so now I'm sending you to the world to redeem the world and be a part of that story, but I'm not leaving you alone. He actually says it's better for me to go. It's like, Jesus, you're crazy. I'm like, love to have you standing right here. But he actually says it's better that we all have the spirit with us than for him to be here physically right now. So again, I might not have done it that way, but we trust him. right? And so we receive the Holy Spirit. So who is God? He is the spirit. And I would even say a missionary spirit. He's kind of that mission agency. And we're going to get to that. So what did he do? Again, God doesn't just be, he does out of his being. So he sent the son into the world to redeem all things. And then he leaves the spirit with us. And so who are we now? We are missionaries. So we're sent into the world as missionaries, reconciling all things to God. And so that's part of our doing is the reconciling, but we are missionaries. What do we do? So what do we actually do? We display and declare the good news of Jesus to the world around us, empowered by the spirit. Don't forget that. So this is one that I know like most people like are like, yes, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I understand that. But this one, a lot of us really struggle to believe, myself included. You know, this is for the guy who trains and, and goes to Nashville. Like this is for the people who raise support and go do it. Right. Like there. And I don't want to like devalue frontier missions and mission in hard places. Don't hear me doing that. But we do have to say that, like, we are all missionaries. It's who we are. It's not just reserved for the elite right? It is every single one of us. Can you believe 
and I struggle to believe this, that God wants to use you to reconcile the world unto himself, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be a kingdom of priests. So if we believe this, we, we look at all of life through this lens. We use the language display and declare, which is just helpful. It simplifies it maybe to a fault, but we display the good news of the kingdom in things we do, acts of service, whatever it might be, right? And then maybe by being family, whatever, but then we declare it, right? So, so displaying is good. And, and the old saying, and I think the guy gets a bad rap, like, because uh, it was a lot more context, but preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Um, but I always say like, preach the gospel to the point it's necessary to use words. Like if you're really, or preach the gospel with your life, sorry. And if necessary, use words was the quote. So preach the gospel with your life to the point it's necessary to use words. Because when people say, why are you doing this? Like Jesus, like then I'm speaking the good news of the kingdom. And we're going to go deeper into this next week, kind of that this declaring piece, because a lot of times we, we tell people you need to be able to speak the gospel. And a lot of people here, and you might be hearing this, I need to be able to share a five-step plan to, to become a Christian. Those are helpful tools and that's fine. But what we're saying is very personally, very specifically in all of life. Like for example, my son and his hair and his struggle. That was me speaking the good news that he is God's son because of Christ Jesus into a very specific personal way. I didn't say stop and let me give you a gospel presentation, right? That you receive one time and then it's kind of set to the side. No, this is all of life. We are being saved. Um, Man, yeah, we go on and on with that. So we are sent by the spirit. So we need to understand that vertical aspect is we are empowered by the spirit. And we're sent out to the world around us to display and declare the gospel. So give me some tangible examples of this. Lately, I feel I've been convicted to display myself yeah. as a Christian more at work. Yeah. And so I've been trying Great to keep place. my attitude in check and things like yeah. that. It hasn't quite gotten to the point of Never does, uh, but. people asking me about what that's all yeah. about. Yeah. And what I found too is um, it's helped me anyways. Um, you know, this, this idea of be ready to give an answer. And that's true. Most people aren't like, what's the hope that's within you? Though that might happen in seasons of suffering, but it comes across in other ways. Like um, when, you know, you're in a room and everybody's bashing one of your coworkers that nobody likes, you don't even like them. Right. But maybe you stand up for him and just say, Hey guys, he's not here. And I just want to be an advocate for him. And you have people that say, and some of them are like, why would you, why are you doing like we're not, you know, and you can say, well, I have someone who's an advocate for me and I'm not a good person, but Jesus is an advocate for me before the father. And so I just I want to make sure that we're we're not just devaluing people as who they are, um, you know, and again, you have to follow the spirit. So not that's just an example. But, you know, maybe it's something as simple as, you know, why would you let your kids do that? You know, at some point or why would you respond this way? Or man, that's that's crazy. That's what you'll get. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Like, you know, you shouldn't do that. Um, but again, it's following the spirit and displaying and it takes time. So it's not just a, a journey. I mean, a, a season, it's a life of this. So it's great. It's a good uh, displaying, good horizontal. You may got a, another horizontal or a vertical. What is us being sent by the spirit? Sitting with a friend while they're in hospice. Great. Spend the night with them because of the night terrors. Yep. So can somebody tell me how that displays the gospel? What is that a picture of something even greater, though that's an awesome thing to do? What did Jesus do in the gospel? He was forsaken and left completely alone that we might never be left alone. He's there with us at all times. And so that's a tangible, though not full picture, because Jesus is the only one that can fully do that. You can't be there 24-7. But that is a tangible picture of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. And so that's where that declaring comes in. You know, when they say, you don't have to do this. I know I don't. And Jesus didn't have to do it for me, but he did. Right? And so we're able to then declare the gospel and, and take people to Jesus in that. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a great example. So The other thing the Spirit will do is he will prod you mm-hmm. when you're in certain situations mm-hmm. and embolden you mm-hmm. to speak to somebody. I had a, one of my better experiences. I, I worked for the federal government airport. I was a screener. Mm-hmm. Had a gentleman that had cancer. Uh, he was Muslim. 
and I, because of everything, he wound up spending a couple nights at the uh, airport before they would allow him to catch a flight to Casablanca. He'd been to IU Med Center. They told him, you know, this is it. Mm -hmm. And he was going to go back to Casablanca and pass. And on the second day, I got an opportunity to talk to him. I've had a couple different cancers. I've, I don't know of anybody in this world that hasn't been affected by it one way or the other. But I told him, I asked him if I could pray with him. I said, I know we disagree on that, but I know my God can heal you. Mm -hmm. And so his wife didn't like it, but we, we yeah. said a short prayer together. A year later, I'm working the whole body imager. Gentleman comes through, gives me a great big old hug. And he goes, you don't recognize me, do you? Well, he was dressed Western and not with what he had had on earlier. And he says, I'm so-and-so. And I said, I'm here for a follow-up. I said, I'm in remission right now. Mm. And uh, so, and that's not the place, trust me, that really believes in you sharing the word of God with people as they come through the checkpoint. But uh, I just, yeah. I can't believe that I had the courage to yeah. say anything to I mean, right. under the political things and everything's going on. But. Yeah. Well, that is empowerment. And it's also yeah. is something as, oh, I started to say as simple. It's not simple. Recognizing your experiences, you've gone through what he just mentioned. He's had this and he's had this and he's had this and he's had this. That probably doesn't have anything to do with you. Even though you, you're going through it and you, oh, it's all about me. But because you've been through it, you can talk to somebody about mm -hmm. how they know how, what it feels yeah. like to have cancer. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. No, you don't unless you've been there. Right. And recognizing that yeah. in the aftermath yeah. of it. Because mm -hmm. you can take it for granted and forget right. about it. Yeah, and the Spirit works. You said something, and this is what I was actually getting at. It's one of the vertical things is listening to the Spirit. So we listen up. We're not so busy, and we're in conversations. I've tried to force myself to do this. If I'm talking to someone, I'm just listening for my great advice and wisdom that I can give them. And I've learned to just shut up, Joel, like even in your own mind. Mm -hmm. Listen to the Spirit and just say, Spirit, I'm listening to you, and I'm listening out. So it's a horizontal vertical and I, listen to both. The, if you're put in a situation and the Spirit talks to you, that yes, you shut up and you listen to what the person that he's exposed mm -hmm. you to asked you. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you're there for, that is to hear the question that the Spirit knows you can answer right. and give. I had a, a friend that uh, had leukemia, uh, still battles, and I had a different form than he had. But he said, I'm scared to death. What? And I said, I can't tell you how your experience is going. I can tell you some of the things that you're going to experience because of the chemo, because of what you do, and ran him through basic training, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. And later on, he's, he's done well and everything, but he, uh, we had uh, conversations and everything. And he was quite happy. He said, when these things happened to me, I knew it was normal. It wasn't mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. said, I still didn't like it. I said, no, I don't like some of the things. But he said, when they did happen, they didn't scare me. Mm -hmm. I knew what was what they were and what they were going to do. So Yeah, no, that's but great. It, it's wonderful to be put in those situations, mm -hmm. uh, to put your life experiences in order to help somebody else and to show them, well, how do you get through this, 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 and this? Because I laid there in, uh, in neurocritical care and just prayed to Jesus. I, I cried the one time because I had hurt so bad because of this brain tumor. And I was tired of medication. I'm laying in neurocritical care and I'm crying like a baby 
because I'm asking Jesus, said, I will take all the pain that I can, would you please take the rest of it, because I want no medication. I'm tired of medicine, and I just took absolutely nothing while I was in there. And uh, I was very sad that I had asked him that. But he did it. Yeah. Well, and he's, he's faithful, so that's, that's the whole point of this. And so we're going to move on real quick to finish this up, and we've kind of done more discussion throughout. So um, fruit to root, I do want to point this out really quick. And this, this will tie in. I think it'll make sense. But you have to understand this. If you're not living out the gospel, if there's an area where you're struggling to believe the gospel um, or you're struggling to live it out, it's because you're not believing who you are. You're believing your false identities, which is what the enemy wants to come in and do. He whispered to Adam and Eve. Um, he wanted to tell them they were God, not just like God, right? And um, the enemy will come in and tell us these lies. And so this is what we mean when we say fruits. Repentance is repenting not only of wrong actions, but wrong beliefs as well. So this is very important to understand. And so if you could view a tree, so fruit to root, which is where that comes from. And so this is your life and all the fruit are things you do, right? So this could be you go to church, you... Uh, lose your temper, right? And so let's let's use lose your temper, okay? So this is what everybody sees. But down here, there's underlying issues going on that we need to make sure we understand. And so when we repent, we don't need to just repent of this. We need to repent of what's going on down here. And so let's go with lose your temper. So if I want to repent of losing my temper, which I should with my kids, that's a good thing, right? But if I want growth in this area, I really need to repent of what's going on underneath that. And so there's these questions, which if you know them, they're the exact questions backwards. So what are we doing? We start with what we're doing and get to what we're believing about ourselves. And then we get to what we're believing about God as a result. So now we're discipling ourselves. So if I lose my temper and I'm doing that, what am I believing about myself, about my identity? So this is the, I'm going to go doing, being, doing, and I'm going to put God and being, and you'll see how this makes sense. So if I, my doing right now is losing my temper. This is what we're dealing with. That's, that's the fruit. Okay. What am I believing about myself that causes me to lose my temper? This is a really helpful exercise to get you to think about this thing. Okay. Um, so you are in control. Right? Uh, you're, you're God, almost. I'm going to put that language there. You're king, right? Someone Normally, that's how it happens. You're messing with my comfort. Even my kids. Um, you, I'm, I'm losing my temper because you're challenging my authority. I can discipline them out of love, or I can discipline, discipline them out of you challenging my authority. Right? Do I hold my authority with humility or with anger? Okay? I think that's going to be the main thing we believe about ourselves, that we are in control, that we are king, it is who we are. I, can you think of other reasons? There could be some even unhealthy things like you're just tired, right? We could get into that I believe I have to. So for example, um, let's say I'm in charge of an event going on, and I think that I have to be the one to make sure everything goes smooth. And again, it goes back to being in control, but I think that it is all on me. So I think that I am, in a sense, the one that everything falls on. So I'm running, I have to challenge myself in this. I'll run myself ragged to where I'm doing, doing, doing all these things. And I don't want to let anything fall or not go well that I'm in charge of to the point where I am just frustrated. I'm angry because I think that it is all on me, that I'm in control. Okay. So if I am believing that about myself, even if I would never say that, right, out loud, my actions are revealing that I believe that, what does that tell me that I believe about God and what he does? He's not in control. Perfect. That's exactly. He's left it up to me. Okay. So he's distant. Um, he's not in control. He's put it all on me. So he's put the full brunt of everything on me, right? We could, we could go on with that, right? That's what we're believing about what God does. What does that tell us about who God is? And some of this flows together. You know, he's, he's distant. I would even say it's us believing that he's not God. Untrustworthy. Untrustworthy, not sovereign, right? Go on, whatever. He's not sovereign. He's not in control. He's not trustworthy. All these things, right? And so actually some of these would be here. And some of this, what does God do? Well, he leaves us. He leaves us to ourselves. Um, you know, he's not around. 
whatever. And so basically now I'm getting to the fruit, which is where this lives. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting to the root. Yes, I'm getting to the root of what's going on, which is that I'm believing that God is distant. So now instead of me just saying, man, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. I'm not going to do that again. Next time I'm just going to go and not actually say what I wanted to say. Like that's better. (laughs) Now I'm saying, God, I repent of thinking that this is all on me. I repent of believing that I am somehow in control and that you're not. God, I repent of not believing that you're sovereign, that you are at work, that you not only, so we want to say, God, you are in control, right? So we can go the positive of this. We can go work our way back up. So we're working our way down, <clears throat> fruit to root and back. And so my fruit, or sorry, my root is that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he is not distant that he is intimately involved, that he never sleeps, even when I sleep, that he cares about my kids. If we use that illustration, lose my temper with my kids, he cares about my kids much more than I do. And so what does that tell me about my being? That I'm not in control, right? That I'm not God, that I can rest in him and work from rest, that I can labor for my kids' souls without feeling the weight of changing their hearts because I can't. And so what is the fruit that comes out of that? Patience, love, humility, right? Peace. I'm at rest. Shalom, right? So now when my kid challenges my authority, you know what I do? I care for his heart, not just say, just suck it up, kid, you know, or use my, my authority. So I just, we, we could do that with other things and we might do that later in this class. We really don't have time now, but what this is all getting at, you'll hear us use the language real quick of head, heart, and hands. So we'll say knowing that's the head. So that's the truth. This is knowing is God is in control. That's a truth. But our heart, does our heart believe that? Okay. And then are our hands living out that we believe that? Or are you putting the full brunt on yourself? So the question we ask is, what do we know to be true? Let's go to, um, uh, you're living in guilt and shame because you sinned and you're running from God. You know in your head that God loves you that you are his son, that you are his daughter. Are you believing that in your heart in the moment you sin against him? No, you're running in guilt. You're running in shame. And you're like, I got to give God three days to cool off. And then I can go talk to him just because our earthly fathers are that way. Right. But the reality is that's not the truth. And so I need to hear the truth implied into my heart. And I need to believe that truth where my affections begin to love God. I'm leading my emotions. So now instead of feeling guilt and shame, I'm beginning to feel loved. I'm beginning to feel security in who God is and who he said I am. And then I start living and that. How do I live? What do I actually functionally do? Well, I repent of that sin. I repent of that unbelief and I begin to live out of my identity. And so basically we, what we would do for discussion, we already kind of did this is we would walk through the family servant missionary identity. And I know this is kind of two tracks and it's okay. It doesn't have to fit perfectly, but we'd walk through that. And so I would challenge you when you look at finding yourself doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, or I would even say this, when you find yourself feeling emotions that you know you shouldn't be feeling. So you're walking into a room. Let's go back to that following the spirit and speaking boldly, right? So I walk into a situation. I hear the spirit tell me to speak into somebody's life. My tendency is to live in the hand stage. So head, heart, hands to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to speak. God told me to speak. And in this moment, I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling like they're going to think I'm weird. I'm feeling like it's not going to go over well. So I can either disobey or I can pull myself up on my bootstraps and force myself to say something. And I'm not discipling my heart or my mind at all. I'm just discipling my hands and we're missing it. So now let me go back. Same situation, same scenario. Why don't I want to speak truth into that person? Because I believe that it's on me, that it's on the words I say, that God is distant, that he's not in this situation, that the spirit isn't actually working right here. That's just, I just thought that random thought came into my head and the spirit's distant. And so I'm not going to say anything. So now I'm discipling my heart and I repent and say, okay, spirit, you are in control. I'm not just saying, just do it, Joel, just do it, just do it. No, I'm saying, spirit, you are in control. I confess that right now I don't believe it, but I'm going to trust and walk in obedience and speak in this moment the good news of Jesus, even though I don't feel it because I trust that you're in control. Spirit come through for me because I'm trusting you. And so now I'm getting to my heart and my head and I'm speaking the truth because God is in control, right? We would all sit here and go, yes, yes, yes. But if you're feeling like you're in control, your heart's betraying what you know to be true. And so all that, I know that's a lot. What I want to get at is we really do believe at Summit 
When we get to community, missional community, this is where it's going to come into play. When we get to DNA groups, which are smaller groups, this is where this starts to come out because you need other people to help you in this. You can't do this alone. Does that make sense? And so together we're wrestling through, we're figuring this out. And so head, heart, hand. So I would, I would encourage you, we're not, we don't have time now, we're going to wrap up. Um, but these questions, head, heart, hands, ask yourself these questions, right? Because if I'm feeling insecure speaking the truth, if I believe that Jesus is in control and I say, you're king, spirit, you're here. What does that change my feeling, my emotion of insecurity? What does it change it to? Security. Rest, trust, right? So now I'm discipling my emotions, not just my actions.